And I think I'm coming into my own because what I'm doing right now is I feel like there's more for me in the Marianist family. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means a lay Marianist. I don't know if that means continue to be a collaborator, just continue to be part of the family. But I feel like I want more, which is kind of what I'm discerning right now. Welcome to Sharing Our Marianist Stories, a podcast produced by the North American Center for Marianist Studies in Dayton, Ohio. I'm Mike Bennett, Media Administrator for NACMAS. In this episode, we're joined by Ann Miller, who shares about her experience working for the Marianists and how that experience impacted her spirituality and engagement with the Marianist family. Given that Anne discusses her experiences of the Society of Mary within the St. Louis province and later the U.S. province, we thought it might be helpful to bring in our Marianist scholar-in-residence, Brother Tim Phillips, to help us understand what a province is, why it's significant, and how the current U.S. province structure came to be. So, before we hand the floor over to Anne, we'll start with Brother Tim, who we are always happy to welcome to the studio. We can start by saying that the Society of Mary is divided into provinces and regions to establish, as we say, closer bonds among communities and to ensure the stability of apostolic works. It's a way to manage a society of men who are numerous and spread throughout the world in many countries with many languages and to encourage and develop the spiritual life and apostolic life of the members. Mm. Mm-hmm. Provinces and regions are accountable directly to the general administration for their spiritual and apostolic life. In contrast, over the years, the Society of Mary has developed the structure of a district to develop its missionary outreach outside the territorial boundaries of a province. In the same way, as a province or region is accountable to the general administration, a district is the responsibility of a province or region and is accountable to it. Now, a province is a territorial division of the society which has a satisfactory level of self-sufficiency. That means the ability to have an effective internal organization and cohesiveness, sufficient personnel to provide for initial and ongoing formation, such as a novitiate and continued support for spiritual life of the members, as well as sustaining and developing apostolic ministries. Finally, long-range financial stability is a criterion. Normally, a province is not established until the membership reaches about 75 members. A region is similar in its responsibilities, though it would have a simpler administrative structure, and the membership would probably be below 75 religious. Regions reflect growth towards becoming a province on the one hand, or the recognition that a province, due to the aging of the members or other issues, needs a simpler administrative structure or will not be able to provide certain services such as initial formation. Just in a a brief review there, you've mentioned both provinces and regions and how they kind of fit together. And I know that there are four distinctions. If we were going to kind of move up a hierarchy, we'll say, I think it begins with a territory. Is that the phrase? A foundation is the term. A foundation. And a foundation would be a community, uh, generally would be outside the territorial bounds of a province or a region. Okay. 
And as that develops, that whatever, wherever that is or whatever, the, uh, however many communities develop from that foundation, mm-hmm. often in a, a different territory, a different country, for instance, mm-hmm. eventually it would be uh, moved towards the position of being a district if uh, under the province or a region, and eventually would move to becoming a, a region under the general administration with the idea that it would develop into a province at some time. I see. So working our way up, we start with a foundation to a district, to a region, to a province. Yes. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks for that. And could you give us a little bit of the evolution of the province for the Society of Mary within America. And, you know, I know Anne is speaking specifically in her context of a a merger of four provinces, and I know that'll be part of the evolution, but can you just give us that that evolution in a nutshell? Yes, well, what we were saying about provinces and regions and districts and foundations is reflected in the development of the province of the United States, even though this particular language was not there at the time, because we're talking about the 1850s. Mm -hmm. In 1855, the four communities of the society in Ohio and Texas that had about 30 religious between Ohio and and, uh, San Antonio, Mm -hmm. and they were far from the general administration in France, were organized as the province of America. And then in 1908, in recognition of the significant growth in the number of communities and their territorial extent from the east coast of North America to Hawaii and from Winnipeg, Canada into Mexico, the province of America was divided into the provinces of St. Louis and Cincinnati. Now, from there, as growth continued, provinces of the Pacific in 1948 and New York in 1961 were established. Most recently, as membership was aging and diminishing, the general administration and the general chapters took a proactive stance and developed plans for restructuring the Society of Mary with a view to making the best use of available personnel for leadership and formation. This resulted in the United States in the formation of the province of the United States in 2002 out of the four provinces of New York, Cincinnati, St. Louis, and the Pacific. And that's where things still stand today, at least for the U.S. province. Right, right, for the province of the United States. And it might be worth also mentioning that, yes, there's that U.S. province. There is also the province of Mariba in New York that was founded in 1976. And then there's also the foundation or territory in Canada. Which began as a province in 1964, became a region, and it's now called a territorial community. So those were kind of offshoots in the process, but in the merger of 2002, those continued to function as their own entities. I think that about covers it, a little bit of a preface, so to help people understand some of the things Ann's talking about. Well, good. Thanks for your help, Brother Tim. Welcome. And with that, we'll turn it over to Ann Miller, who recorded this interview with me at the 2023 Lay Assembly in St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, I'm Ann Miller. I am from St. Louis, Missouri, lifelong, born and raised. My connection to the Marianist family is in 1988. I was offered a job by then-provincial Father Joe Uvieta, and 
I had heard of the Marianist. My brother, who was a diocesan priest, had taught a little bit at St. Mary's and loved it. So I knew who they were, but I didn't know anything about them. I just really wanted the job. So I took the job. Little did I know how transformative it would be in my life for the next 30 years. That particular provincial council, with Father Joe as the lead, looked at our job. I was a secretary, not as a job, but as a ministry. And that really stuck with me. They had all the hallmarks of the Marianist way of life, charism, they were their hospitality, they were always inviting us to things, they were interested in our families, they were very inclusive. I always said Father Joe was the most feminist male priest I knew next to my brother Jim. And we just felt like we were part of a family. I worked there for 11 years, and the reason I left was I felt like it was time to just make a move. My kids were going into, I don't even know where they were. They were in grade school. They were probably in high school. And I got offered a job with the Archdiocese of St. Louis, and I decided to go. And it was fine. It was okay. And in that time, I kept up with the brothers, various lay people that I had known through the years, the various sisters I had known. But when the provinces merged, there was a job opening, and a couple of the dear brothers said to the boss at the time, who was Diane Guerra, you need to hire her back. So <laughs> she kind of approached me about this job, and I was like, all right, yeah, I'll talk to you. I don't know. And just walking into the building for the interview, it felt like I was back home. I didn't even know if I could get the job. But I, I got the job, and I worked in communications for 19 years. I just retired last year. Though I had the feel of the Marianists in the St. Louis province, I really learned about the Marianist family more in the last 19 years. I had more interaction with the sisters, and I really came to know the Marianist family more. And what I loved about Chaminade, from the very beginning when I, I read Running Giant, you know, when I was at the St. Louis province, what I loved from the beginning is he started with the laity. Because as a woman in the church, sometimes it's hard to see yourself mm -hmm. in the maleness. And it was just really beautiful. And then it was the nuns, and then it was the brothers. And that always spoke to me. It always speaks to me, the discipleship of equals, that the lay Marianists are no less important than the brothers. The sisters are no less important. And though I worked for the brothers, the collaboration, well, not always perfect. It was wonderful to see, and I just really enjoyed it. I'm not a lay Marianist, but I did go to things. I went to Jubilees. I went to the lay assembly in 2017. I Zoomed at the pandemic <laughs> assembly. I've done various things that lay Marianists offer, or, you know, or I Zoom in. I just took the Marianist spirit class with Maddie Spicer, and I think I'm coming into my own because what I'm doing right now is I feel like there's more for me and the Marianist family. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means a lay Marianist. I don't know if that means continue to be a collaborator, just continue to be part of the family. But I feel like I want more.
more, which is kind of what I'm discerning right now. And there's so many memories through the years, the assembly, the welcoming, because not that I'm an outsider, but because I was an employee, there's really not a name for me in the Marinus family. I've talked to a lot of different people who say collaborator and all that, but I still am part of the Marinus family, but I don't have the connections necessarily that I see among the lay Marinus. So in the last few years, I'm just like, well, I'm going to go and just tell them who I am and we'll see how it goes. I love the Marinus. The, the brothers are who I've worked with for 30 years. I have a deep love for them, mm-hmm. a deep respect for them. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know, all the all the stuff. I have a deep love for them, but I have a deep love for the Marinus family and the charism. There's a, there's a comment that sometimes people make that I'm more Marianist than Catholic, and yes, I am at fault <laughs> for saying that, because I know Catholic is Marianist, mm-hmm. but Marianist is where my heart is. Mm. It's just, it's my heart. Yeah. Can you think of a, one or two ways that the Marianist charism has impacted your spirituality? A lot of it has just been the inclusiveness mm. of everybody. Sometimes people have said, well, you're part of the family, but you're not a lay Marianist. And other people have said, you've been around long enough, you ought to be a lay Marianist. And then there's others that say, you've been around long, you ought to be a brother. But I think the inclusiveness just always including me. And I've always felt cared about, and my family's been cared about. The other thing is the profound effect of Mary on my life. And Mary became important to me before I ever met the Marianists. When I was pregnant with my first child, Megan, I was pregnant at Christmas. And when you're pregnant in Christmas and you're hearing all these readings and you go, wow, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine being this much pregnant on a donkey going into Bethlehem and sleep, you know? But Mary's always been a part of my life, but Mary was distant from me. It was more the Mary on the pedestal. That's how I grew up. Very devotional, not relational. And working for the Marianists taught me how relational Mary is mm. and how every part of my life I can, I can connect with Mary. As I, one of my favorite and the, the brothers gave this to me when I, when I left and retired was the Mary Seat of Wisdom that Joe Aspel did. And I have it framed and I look at it as a woman who is older and retired and I look at her sometimes and just say, I'm scared about this, or I'm worried about this, or I know you must have felt this, but all through my life, and especially do whatever he tells you. I mean, just that she brings us to Christ, and that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, that's those are the big influences for me. Mm. I have so many Marian images around my house. People come in, and they just kind of <laughs> look at me. I had this 93-year-old woman I was visiting, and we were talking about Mary one day, and she wasn't a big fan of Mary. And I just, without thinking, go, oh, Mary's a rock star, D. And she looks at me and goes, a rock star? And I go, <laughs> well, you know how they put rock stars out there like they're so cool and they have all these great experiences, but they can also try and relate to you? I go, she's a rock star. She goes, I'm going to have to really think about that for a while. <laughs> she's probably picturing her up on a stage. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> but it's, that was not my intent. Sure. It was just, for me, she's just everything. She's not more than Jesus. She's not more than God, but she's our human connection. I love that imagery, especially as you talk about being pregnant with your first child. 
in that Dece that December and journeying with Mary to the Nativity yeah. and just those ways of relating to Mary's humanity. Yeah, and that came from knowing the Mariness. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, when I was a kid growing up, it was a pedestal, but it, it changed as I was pregnant and as a mom. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking of the night, listening to these readings, and then, you know, as I was having Megan in March, and then it was Easter, and thinking, oh my God, sacrificing your son? I couldn't, I, I don't think I could do this with my, you know, daughter. And, and then I just feel like when the job came up for the St. Louis province, I prayed about it, and I just said, if this is what it's supposed to be, let it be. And I have always felt that it was always where I was meant to be. And I, I am so blessed and grateful for that. When you were talking about your tenure with the Marianists, you mentioned being part of that transition of the province. I was gone from the, uh, oh, the transition okay. was starting in 1999. I mean, there was work going on. Sure. I left in 99 and came back in 2002, and I was there for the first assembly, the dinner. Okay. I got invited to that, and it was shortly thereafter when I found out there was a job. But I will say, Mike, I knew the other provinces. I knew brothers and all the four provinces, I mean, obviously St. Louis, but the California, Pacific, Cincinnati province, and New York province. But coming back and sitting in my office, probably in the first six months and going, wow, there are really different cultures at work here. Mm. And it was very interesting. Their culture of being brothers were different. How they did lay merriness were different. I'm not saying the process was different, but the, the culture of it. And then watching it evolve through the years. And I think Brother Steve Glodek and his team did an amazing job. I think he was the perfect person to help do that. But it really was kind of a culture shock. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if there's other concrete kind of differences you noticed when you came back, kind of comparing the well, before um, and after that merger. The St. Yeah. Louis province was pretty relaxed, for instance, in the office, pretty mm. relaxed. They had their, their clerical suits on and all that occasionally, but never hardly in the office unless they were going somewhere. The Cincinnati province in the provincial office, much more suit and coats, ties, just different. The experience of mine at the St. Louis province in New York was they were kind of the hip, cool mm. people. Mm -hmm. And then the Pacific province, well, they were hip and cool in their own right, but they were kind of out there as well. And they were just different. And so when they came to the St. Louis province. Sometimes the guys from Dayton would be more like, well, we need to do it this. They all had their ways of wanting to do things and working out, well, this is how we always did it. Well, this is how we did it. This is how we, and, and finding ways to, to do that. And in credit to the council at that time and to the brothers themselves, they got a lot of pushback. Mm. A lot of, there were a lot of brothers unhappy with this merger. The province is too big. It's too spread out. We're used to small, just different styles of, of doing things. 
it wasn't that one was better or worse than the other. It was just different styles. And watching those styles, because they were very conscious at the beginning of the new province to have all the areas represented mm. so that every province felt like they had a voice on their council. It was interesting. Well, I could see that approach even being indicative of the Marianist spirituality, the Marianist charism of we're not just going to come in here and steamroll everybody no. else. You know, no. There's a way that we've got to bring everybody together. We've got to bring everybody. We have to be including, inclusive. We can't leave anybody behind in this. Mm -hmm. You know, even the brothers that weren't real thrilled about it, we can't leave them behind. And knowing some of those brothers, they would come along. They still may not have liked it, but yeah. they came along. And I think they continue to. I know by the time I left, I feel like it's a pretty solid province. There's been a real melding of how they move people around. I think there's been more melding of the lay families doing more together. Mm -hmm. The sisters are primarily in Dayton and San Antonio, but having them included, you know, I felt like it was pretty much the U.S. province. And it's yeah. probably still evolving, but the other issue now is it's evolving, but it's also getting smaller. There's fewer brothers. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the assembly in 2017 when they debuted Spectacle, mm -hmm. a piece of Spectacle, mm -hmm. which was fabulous. And I was standing with the then provincial Father Marty Soma, and I had never been to an assembly. And I'm standing in the back of the room after it's all over, and I'm looking at all of you young people and and us older folks, but all of you that have been around for years that I had never experienced. And I looked at him and I said, you know, if you were ever worried about Chaminade and the Marianist family not surviving, you need to look at this room. Everybody is in good hands. Look at these young people. Look at these middle-aged people that embrace what Chaminade envisioned. We're we're going to be fine. Because mm -hmm. I know that's a big deal with the merriness, and I can't imagine how hard it must be to want more vocations. But vocations are down everywhere. But I feel like with Shamanan's vision, the Marianist family is in great hands. So if you had a hope for the Marianist family? My hope would be that the Marianist family would influence our greater church, mm. not only here in the United States, but across the world. And I think we are, but I just hope it's more. I don't know of a religious order that focuses so much on their laity, but I think the laity, the Marianist family has the potential to teach the Catholic Church what it means to be a church, and it doesn't have to just be clerics. It can be lay people, it can be religious sisters, it can be brothers, it can be priests, but I think the lay Marianists have a lot to teach the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. That's my hope, that people will hear and listen and be open, and I don't know how that happens because I know there are not lay Marianists everywhere in the United States, mm -hmm. but somehow we infuse the church with that. Before we ask Anne our final question, uh, I just wanted to offer a word of thanks both to Anne and Brother Tim for your contributions to this episode. And a word of thanks to you, our listener, for listening to this episode of Sharing Our Marianist Stories and for your continued support of the North American Center for Marianist Studies. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll be notified when we have future episodes released. And follow us on our social media accounts at This Is NACMAS on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 
so that you have access to our ongoing educational and formational content focused on our Marianist family, history, and charism. And now to wrap up this episode of Sharing Our Marianist Story, we return with our final question. So we know that the founders corresponded quite a bit in letter writing. So if you were going to write a letter to one person, dead or alive, knowing that you would get a response, who would you choose and what would be the topic? I would want to write to my deceased brother, Jim, who was a Catholic archdiocesan priest. Mm. He died in 2009 of cancer at the age of 62. We were not only brother and sister, we were best friends. And what I would write to him is, Jimmy, look at what I have found since you've been gone. Look at the ways that I have grown and transformed, and I will tell you that I pray to him for this discernment about the Marianist family. Look at what I'm finding in myself within the Marianist family in a whole new way beyond being an employee. 